Good morning. The, uh, the Bible readings are all over the Old Testament. That's why we're uh, trying to use it up on the screen so that you could uh, follow it there rather than look through all the pages. Excuse me when I get my water ready. So Proverbs 6, 6 to 11, page 639, if you really want to know, in the Bible pews. It says this. Great word here coming. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It is no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Encouraging stuff so far. Proverbs 10. Lazy hands make a poor man. But diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. 14.23 says, All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. I think you're getting the message by now. Proverbs 16 and 8, Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Then there's a great passage at the end of Proverbs 31, and it's about the wife of a noble character, and Part of my reading this is because I really think we should read it if we're doing Proverbs. So in case it ever gets left out, will you read this? A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. And out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. Verse 20 says, She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. One last one, right at the very start, page 4. Genesis 2 and 15, the Lord says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat of the tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. This is the word of the Lord, and we do well to ponder on these things. So good morning. Uh, As Philip says, my name is Peter. I've been coming to Kirkpatrick for about a year now. Uh, my wife has been associated much longer than that, and uh, we live in number seven. That's pew number seven, down on the back right-hand side. It's a nice district of, of Kirkpatrick. The natives are fairly friendly over the last year. I'd like to thank them for that. Row six, great singers. Now, over the summer, there's a strange thing happens down in that neighborhood. Some people migrate from the warmer underneath the balcony out to just beyond it. So there's some people who move from five to eight. You know who you are. And we've noticed that. <clears throat> and and uh, I have to say, I did promise something to row six. Monty, at the start of the summer, um, had a very clever way of getting us all on side. He gave out sweets. Do you remember that? Anybody was here? Okay. And we're passing around the sweets. They came to me, and I thought I would incorporate the other district across the divide, and I left the sweets over there. The problem was, none of them ever made it to row, row, row six. All right. So... My wife has a bag of sweets and she's just producing it. And we're going to start off with row six and pass it backwards. See? A promise kept. <laughs> it's great. Now, I reckon this time of year, 
We all fall into one of four categories. So we're going to go a bit audience participation, congregation participation, okay? Difficult to say. I think the first category is those who have just been, you've been on holiday and you've returned. Now that's me. I, like Philip, I was in Portrush. I took my snorkel and my wetsuit, and that was good for going around the shops, believe me. It was one of those very wet times. So if you have returned from holiday, I can see your tan here, and you're very happy and pleased. You just put your hand, no, not up the gun, okay, we are Presbyterians. Let's put our hands up this high if you've just returned from holiday. There you go. Looking very tanned, I must say, and there we are. Excellent, and we're very happy. There's another happy bunch, and you have yet to go on holiday. Could be this week sometime in August. You've waited later. And if that's you, you're obviously very pleased too. You just put your hand up. You're still to go on holiday. One or two or three or four. Very good. Looking forward to that. There's a sad group. (laughs) This is the group who actually aren't going on holiday for reasons, you know, maybe you can't afford it or there's maybe somebody ill. You have to look after someone. And if that's you, would you just, just slowly just put your little hand up wherever you are. There they are, a couple here. If you're sitting near those people, would you put your hand on their shoulder? <laughs> say, dear, and empathize. That's the way to do it. So that's super. And then there is a, f- a, fourth, a fourth category, which is even sadder. You are actually on holiday and you came here to listen to me. <laughs> now that's particularly bad. If there's anybody here and you're on holiday and you maybe want to, just a hand up. No, I didn't think anybody would be in that category. Very good. So those are the four categories, and the summer's a great time to, I hope you've had relaxing time, no matter where you've been to. Um, now, I have to thank Sam, because when the original speaking uh, program came out, I was down to speak about money, okay? Now, if anybody knows anything about me, I know nothing about money. And Sam was able to do that last week. Um, you have a lady who works in, in the church here. She could organize the plant. Okay? She's brilliant at it. She's also gorgeous. And I can say it because I married her 30 years ago. So it's actually my wife. And she, when we were married, she worked in the bank. Well, what was I going to do with organizing money? I didn't know how to count back in those days. So all of my money went to Jill. And she gives me 10 pounds every month and allows me to spend it. It's great. Now, I know what you think she's hard. She does. If you want any more money, Peter, just ask and you can have it. And I'll come out of your Christmas bonus. So it's actually quite good. So, so I, know nothing about, I know nothing about money, really, which is good. So wise up about work. I might know something about that. I heard a, a joke today saying that it's obviously a minister can talk about work. That's unfair, okay, because I was a pastor at one stage, and it was really hard work. But we're going to speak on work today, and everybody has experience of that, more or less. And that's why it's quite interesting to talk about it. Everybody's got opinions. And uh, I've thankfully worked for 35 years in con- consistent employment. Uh, I was an engineer. I was an apprentice. I worked in a factory, in a cold factory. And the guys, when you're young like that, I got all sorts of jobs to do that you didn't really want to do. Uh, I grew up as an engineer through the different ranks. I then left that. I took a career change deliberately and became, uh, if I was trying to impress you, I would say I was a lecturer. If I was telling the truth, I'd say I'm a teacher in the tech. And I went in there and tried to uh, connect with the next generation of engineers, teaching engineering. And then, for five years, I was, keep this to yourself, a pastor in a church in East Belfast. I'm not going to tell you which one it was. But, and that was different again. Left that, went back into engineering, and then went back into teaching again. So currently I'm still lecturing in Cirque down in Bangor with students, let's be honest, who don't really want to know and don't want to learn. So, you know all those, you teach, and there's lots of teachers here. You know the pupils who don't get to do A-levels and switch off and school's not a good experience? Guess where they end up? Yeah, you're right. 
I get them, and it's a challenge, but uh, can have its moments. So everybody has different views on work, and we were thinking today in many emails, there was a great crack of the emails, but a bit of banter going about, about what we would sing today. We were going to think of starting off with 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton. What about that, no? <laughs> or how about Money, Money, Money by ABBA? We could have sang Manic Mondays uh, by the Bangles, or Tell Me Why I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats. But well, what we are going to do is at the end of this, we're all going to sing... Monty can do this, okay? We're all going to stand and sing, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go, and we'll all go out to work together. No, that's too far. No, Monty, stay with the original plan. So we're going to talk about work, and uh, actually this is a huge, uh, huge area of interest for us. We spend a third of our waking lives in our place of work, wherever that is, doing our work. Actually, I've discovered, I've been in church all my days, I could count on the fingers of one hand the number of sermons heard about work, which is quite strange. And actually, we'd like to let you know this is a subject that we're opening up, and I'm no way going to cover even any degree of it. And I want to encourage you in your discipleship groups to talk about our work, because that's where we spent a third of our lives, our waking lives. Uh, and in that, we, we've got to realize that all of us have opinions and what we do within work really matters. I have a couple of resources, because I certainly can't cover it all. Uh, there's a book called uh, God at Work, very clever playing words, by Ken Costa, a great book. So if you want to read that, pick it up somewhere, buy it on Amazon or get it in your Kindle and read God at Work because it cocks through a lot of stuff that I haven't time to cover. And one of the other places, the next slide, is the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. For years, for the last six or seven, maybe last decade, have realized and have put a lot of effort into surveys, research about Christians in work and how that affects us and how we might be a witness in our work. I'll put this quote up. The primary action of the church in the world is the action of its members in their daily work. Uh, New Brigham says that. And that's very true. Um, I remember whenever I was a, a pastor, I used to tell the people, there was a, there's this myth in Northern Ireland sometimes, uh, in, in Christian circles, that the minister's on the front line. To some extent, yes. But I would continually say, when you're in there in your place of work, in that hospital, in that clinic, in that school, in that factory, in that office, wherever you are, you are on the front line. And church for us should be a time when we come and we worship together, but we get empowered, enthused, and educated perhaps, and informed about how we might be the members in our daily work in front of the world that we live in. I think it's a great move in God's part that we're forced to go out and make a living, and we're forced to go out there and meet people who do not think the way we do. So I think this is a very important uh, step. So there's some uh, help that I might be able to get from certain different, and I'll ask all this stuff on the websites and, and uh, places you can find good help with work. I do understand, I'm going to be very sensitive, that there may be people here in today's climate who are unemployed, and you're trying to get a job, and you can't do that. Uh, thankfully, I've never been there, but my sons are at that age where we're trying to get jobs, etc., and it's a difficult environment. So we want to be sensitive to that when we talk about work. Some people would love to be in work, but can't. There are also lots of people who are retired. Bless you. Okay, I'm not quite there yet. but And that's a lot of experience you've got to come uh, to the different categories in our workplace. It's a huge subject. Here's a rule of the list. You can work full-time, part-time, term-time, overtime. You can be skilled, unskilled, semi-skilled, professional, a laborer, a trainee, an apprentice, an intern. You can be a senior manager, a middle manager, whatever that is, a junior manager, a shop manager, a shop floor manager, and even a football manager. You can be employed, unemployed, redeployed, relocated, retrained, reskilled, and retired. All of these things. You can work in an office, 
a hospital, a home. You can work at home, in a factory, in a shop, in a clinic, in a classroom, in a car, in a church. You can work in a church. You can work indoors, outdoors, making doors, selling doors, fitting doors, and even opening doors for people. So there's lots of different jobs you can have. And I probably haven't covered all of the aspects of work at all. And in there, and when I'm talking about this, you're going to relate continually to what you do and what you work. I'd love to take a sweep through this. It might be more interesting listening to me, to find out what we do in our work. And I encourage us in our distribution groups or wherever, talk about what you do during the day because it affects you. It's important to you and how you are and how you cope with that. So we have lots of stuff that we can do, and everybody's got an opinion. Okay, now what does Proverbs say? Uh, let's go up to uh, Proverbs says one of two things, I think. Now, I think you've probably picking up over the last seven weeks. Proverbs is quite difficult to get sermon out of because you've got to go and you've got to find individual parts on it. It's got lots of verses, with quite a lot on work, mentioning work, and you've got to sort of mine those and bring them together. So I've got two points that I want to suggest that Proverbs says about work. First thing is, if you don't work or you're lazy, you won't eat and you will go hungry. There you go. Now, that's quite earth-shattering news, but it was back then. No social help, no whatever, you know, if you, if you weren't working, you were able to claim money from a government. Those things didn't exist. 3,000 years ago when Proverbs is common coinage, what is happening back then is it's an agricultural society and culture. You worked. You had your plot of land. You worked on your plot of land, whatever size it was. And if you didn't sow, then you wouldn't have reaped a harvest. You would be poor and you would be hungry. And many times there are little verses dropped in through Proverbs saying, and you've read about the sluggard. What a great word. The sluggard. You actually can say that by curling your lip. You can't see it back there. Sluggard. Great word to get stuck into. But it's sort of the Bible saying, hey, you, slug, you lazy, lazy person, because you will not work. Now, I want to make a difference between those who can't work, or maybe ill, or don't have employment. But if you can work, the Bible says you should work. You should be doing something to provide for yourself, your family, as best you can. Now, 3,000 years ago, it was quite a simpler complex, uh, system where you worked your land. And I know it's a lot more difficult and complex nowadays, 3,000 years later, but the Bible still says this, don't be lazy. It talks about sleeping and lying in. Uh, I should quote this to some of my students, by the way, but we don't go there. We're not allowed to use the Bible, that sort of platform. But it's a case of being lazy and working. We need to work. And I suspect, to be honest, that's not really the problem, Kirkpatrick. I think everybody would appreciate that and work. But uh, I don't know if you watch the TV programs about Benefits Britain. Except don't. It'll just make you sad. It'll make you angry, okay? There's people there who just will not. And the Bible would say to them, you don't be lazy. Work and try at least to provide for yourself. So that's the first thing the Bible says. And, and some of the verses are, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways. Be wise. Get up from your sleep. Or poverty will come upon you like abundance scarcity like an armed man. The second thing I think it says when we bring the verses together is dishonest gain is eventually going to bring about trouble and or judgment. Um, What the Bible is saying is when you are employed, when you are doing something to make a living, the Bible is all about character, integrity, and honesty. And therefore, so should we if we want to follow Christ and the ways of the Bible. And says, dishonest gain eventually will bring about trouble and judgment. Trouble maybe in this world if you're found out, but eventually certainly judgment. And what it's talking about here is being honest. And the verse in Proverbs 16 and 8 says, Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. And that's more difficult to do in the complex 
world of work that we work in and live in. Um, you know the Bible speaks to you. I was spoken, God spoke to me very abruptly this week because I have a particular habit. Let's go on to the next slide here. We show a little picture. There we go. I have a particular habit, and when I'm packing a case, I always put too much in it. And when I'm putting too much in it, I mean, the, the, the limitation might be six, uh, 20 kilograms. I live 22 in it. If it is 22 kilograms, I put more in it, and I live 25. So I go to the desk, okay, and I go with my case, hand the passport over and the paperwork, and while she's doing that, I invariably put the case on there and get my foot underneath it. It's great. And when you get your foot underneath it, not the whole weight, and I'm sitting there, and it's very awkward, and yes, and she knows exactly what I'm doing. But I'm trying to adjust the scales. I'm dishonest. I read this verse. Let's have the next verse up there, please. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. All right, I make a pledge. I will never do it again, okay? I will not put so much in my case. But I'm not, it's a sort of, have a bit of fun, but, you know, God speaks to us about being honest. Now, that's difficult in work because sometimes there's a culture of dishonesty. What's the plaque that goes up? It says, quick, look busy, here comes the boss. And we all laugh, but we think, yeah. I have students who are able to push a button, and up on the screen will come some work rather than Facebook, and there's people who can do that in an office. I'm not good enough at IT to do that. But continually, we're always trying to think of... I remember one time when I was working as an apprentice, and I was asked to make these steps, and I was in the defense industry, and I thought these were steps into some vehicle or whatever, and I spent about two or three weeks over those, only to discover they were steps for my boss for his caravan. And I realized, oh, they were homers, they were called. And you're thinking, dishonesty here, there... I remember writing minutes. Junior engineers were sent in, and you, you weren't allowed to say anything at the meeting, but you had to write the minutes. I remember producing minutes to my boss. And my boss says, oh, there's a problem with the minutes here. Oh, did I leave something out? No, 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 no. And he read about it, and said, yes, that's what happened. He said, oh, I know that's what happened. But here's what we want to write in the minutes. And I remember as a young Christian going, well, 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 I don't know what to do now. Um, he's the boss. See, not easy. Complex stuff. Banks have been fined huge sums of money for being dishonest. And what God says in the book of Proverbs, in everything that we do, obviously, but particularly in our work, we've got to be honest. And now that is difficult. I know I'm standing here and we're having a bit of fun, but when it comes to the world of work, it's complex. You come into cultures. You meet people who don't have the views you have, or you find yourself compromised, and that is difficult. And I want to encourage us as Christians that wherever we are in our work, with this honesty stuff, that we need to help each other. And to care for each other, help each other, to, to bring about. Uh, so, and we realize that our work isn't just for the boss. The next verse is in Colossians. Paul says this. He's talking about slaves. That was their culture in the day. Obey your earthly masters in everything you do. And only when your eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So work, not when the boss is watching you. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men. So whenever we're working, whatever we do, we have to think about that as working for the Lord and not for our boss or for our salary. Interesting part, the next uh, part of the slide talks about when God takes man, Adam, and he puts him in the garden, he says, put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Um, We have a picture there, right or wrong, of Adam having a garden. He's a gardener now, and he's going to look out and care for it. There are two Hebrew verbs used here, avodah and shamar. And there are two verbs that come together only one other place in the Bible. Talk about that later. And it can be translated to work and to take care. But more often those verbs are translated to serve, to worship, and to guard. 
In Numbers was the other place we find these two verbs together. And any Hebrew reading these would realize those two verbs, I've seen those written somewhere else before. It's whenever the, the priest comes into the temple and his job in the temple is to, to work it and to care for it. To worship God, to serve God, and to guard the temple. You know, if you know priests used to have swords by the gate of the temple. They had to guard it against people who might want to come in. And what I want to say is, in this, when we read about man asked to work, there is the thought, and I think it's there, that our work is also to be seen as worship to God. And if we think that way, that might change how we approach Monday mornings. It might change how we approach when we think, this is our worship towards God. It's great when we come here together to worship, and I love it when people say, let's worship God together as we come here on a Sunday morning. I think, to some extent, we really have been worshiping God all week. Now, when I stand in front of some of my students, there are times I do not think I'm worshiping God, believe me. Whenever you're trying to get the kids out, because that's a full-time job, and they can't find their shoes for school and their school uniform, and you think, I'm worshiping God here, that's not what you think. But there is a sense and a thought here throughout the Old Testament that whenever you work, you're, you're doing that as worship for God. And one encourages to do that and to think about it more, more like that. And that's really what Proverbs says. I'm going to pick directly. There's some other stuff that comes out indirectly. Uh, let's go to the next. Here's a quote from Peter Jordan. Our worth is not defined by our wages. I thought that was very good. Had a wee purple patch and I wrote that down. That's true. Our worth, your worth is not defined by your wages. We tend to ask people, hello, how are you? My name's so-and-so. And what do you do? And the next part of what they say tends to, for us to put them in boxes of how much they earn, what their job is, whether it's this, whether it's that. I remember asking a guy, after, you know, what do you do? He said, let me get this right. He said he was a transparency controller. I think, that's fine. I've never heard of transparency controller. Well, most people call it a window cleaner, but I'm a transparency controller. And I thought, right, but that was good because it made me engage with the guy. And I suppose what we're trying to do is we're trying to attach the value of the world, salary or money or wages, to a job, to the person. And that's the way we think about things. Well, we do it all the time. I want to encourage you that our worth is not defined by our wages. Let's have a picture of Mario. There he is. Mario Balotelli. Italian footballer, terrible child, very difficult to work with, came from a very uh, disruptive background. Uh, he was fostered, etc., etc. There's reasons for him being mad, but he's, he's a crazy guy. Nobody can control him. He's now he works. He works. He plays for Liverpool. Nobody can get on with him. The manager's falling out with him. He doesn't even get to play in the reserves, and he does nothing. And all week he does nothing. Anybody want to guess what he gets paid? £110,000 a week to do nothing. Now, I thought I could be a footballer someday. No, that's never going to happen. But there he is. How much is he worth? Compared to my brother-in-law, big Gary, six foot two, about 20 stone. You don't mess with Gary. And Gary was a classroom assistant in the boys' model where he grew up when he was in school. And they deliberately put what his job was to go in with the most difficult students, the ones that were probably, I was going to say most violent, uh, that's not the right picture, but, you know, they just couldn't sit still, they were really difficult children, and Gary was their classroom assistant. And you don't argue with a guy who says, my big mate, Gary. And I remember talking to Gary and realizing, and he was there for two or three years, he had an influence as a Christian with these guys. Worth far more than Balotelli. 
And he would talk to them about life, trying to find their story, trying to encourage them, not overtly Christian, but he would bring in about values, etc. And even to this day, he still meets guys in the street who would come up to him and say, Big guy, you changed my life. You helped me. You, you spoke to me at a time whenever I had no value and you said I was worth things and, and you told me to wise up and all of that stuff. And all I'm trying to say is, our worth is not defined by our wages. Here's what I think our worth is. We're defined by our relationship to God and our character. It's our relationship to God and who we are. I had the pleasure of working in a place where my dad worked before me. And that, for many people, would be nervous. Here comes your son, and he's going to obviously interact with people who know what you're like in the workplace. And I have to say this to my dad's credit. Every guy I met who knew me was good to me because I know your dad. He's a good guy. He's full of character. So that's what we should be for whenever we come to our, our work. So... The question is not, are you a window cleaner? Are you a lawyer? Are you a doctor? Are you a teacher? Is what sort of window cleaner are you? What sort of lawyer, doctor, classroom assistant, mum, dad are you? Those are the questions I think we should be asking ourselves. Another point. Let's put up the next slide. Nearly finished. There's some words. I'll give you some time to look at some of those. We go into an environment in the work which has been affected by the world and its standards. And many of these things, there's some things in work which are good. Many of these things, poor conditions, difficult boss, impossible targets, too much to do, shift work, thefts of redundancy, all of that sort of stuff. It's a broken world we, we work in, and therefore we meet these. What do we do? Now, I would not trivialize the problems we have in work. Because you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I have issues in work. I struggle with this, I struggle with that. I don't know what the answer is there. And I don't have an answer for all of those things. I just can pick up from experience. One particular time we had a boss who was very, very difficult. He was very difficult with Christians, actually. And there were three of us in this place. I laugh because of what's coming. Uh, and, you know, and somewhere along the line I had this idea. Why don't three of us pray together in our workplace? Can't do much about this guy as a boss. He's the sort of guy who, you know, I remember going leaving one time at half six. And as I'm signing out, is what you did in those days, he said to me, Are you not? He had a squeaky voice, I'll do it, okay? You're not working late tonight, Peter. And I would go, Jimmy, half six is late. And uh, it doesn't look too good when it comes to promotions. That was his bottom line. And I knew that. And as well as that, if you didn't work late, he didn't like you. And if you were a Christian, it was even worse. So I got these two other guys together and we prayed. Now, the reason I'm laughing is you can't pick who you work with, and you can't pick the Christians you work with, okay? One of them, I used to say, was far right of a Talala Hun. He was, he was uh, very conservative, okay? And I'm not going to tell you which free Presbyterian denomination he came from, but there he was, okay? And he was a great guy, straight up and down, but there was not much movement with him. And he was, and I think, right, let's pray with him. I almost give his name away. And the other guy was a charismatic, okay? And, uh, and I can remember thinking, Lord, you really want me to pray with these two guys? And it was an education for me. I said, guys, why don't we pray together at lunchtimes? You can see the women looking at him and looking at us, three of us. And we did. I just stuck at it. He said, come in and we'll pray. And went into the wee lab and we sat down at lunchtimes and we prayed together. Now, for the first two or three weeks, they were getting sermons to each other. It was class while they were praying. I never heard that. So while they were praying to God, they were also trying to help each other. And this was real fun. But after a couple of weeks, we started to pray about the real issues, about our boss, about how we were coping. I was trying to be very open. And in the middle of all this, I have to say, there came times throughout the years when the times with those two guys were brilliant. 
I remember one particular time I was in the bus, he was being particularly awkward, and I came out, and the guy on the right hand side, he says to me, so you're in with the big boss there? He says, while you were there, I was praying for you. Wow. And we prayed about issues. Did they improve slightly? Did we cope with it better? Oh, yeah. Did we feel that we weren't alone? Much better. I can't answer all of those questions. Neither can you. You can have a limited influence on those things. What you can do is pray. And the verse that comes up next is, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver than gold. From Proverbs. Our character, when it's difficult, is what forms us and makes us. And our value is in our relationship with God and in our integrity, not so much in what we get paid. And we'd all like to get paid more. Finally, this might be a wee bit controversial. Work-life balance. Work has changed in the last oh, 50, 60 years. In my dad's day, my grandfather's day, they went down to the shipyard. And they had a job for life. As my dad says, back then, we get this right, back then labor was cheap and parts and material were expensive. Now, 50, 60, 70 years later, labor is expensive and parts are cheap. Back in those days, you fix things. When I teach classes on fault finding, what we do is we take it out, find a fault, throw it away and stick it on a new bit. That's the sort of world that we live in. And nowadays, labor is very expensive. Probably around 75 to 80% of the bill, of the turnover of any company is on wages. So when it comes to having to make cutbacks, we hear cutbacks being mentioned, because perhaps in the West we've paid ourselves too much for too long, don't be too controversial, but because of that and there's cutbacks, that means cutbacks of jobs. That means the threat of redundancy. And that means if I work hard... Then it won't be made. This is a difficult one to balance, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Our work life balance is difficult. And what do we do? Well, I've had a couple of um, suggestions, a couple of things that have happened in my life. Uh, that particular time with that boss, I knew I wasn't going to get promoted. And I was a young man, young family, and we would have liked to have more money, and I had to move departments to give myself some, uh, some opportunity to be promoted. There's things that you can do. I'm actually suggesting on this work-life balance thing, this might be the controversial but you actually can make changes. I think sometimes you've got to be brave. I'm not telling anybody what to do in their work life. The first change I went from engineering to teach was very definitely after church service. Somebody had spoken to me, and I felt God saying, Pete, you're good with people. You're wasted here. I want you to work, and I originally wanted to be a primary school teacher, but the pay drop was too big, and I went into teaching in the tech. I dropped, I have to say, I'm not you know, boasting, at £10,000 at a time when we could have done with the money. I would love to say as a Christian, every year the Lord supplied that extra £10,000. No, he didn't. And we had to learn to live differently, because I made a choice. And maybe we have more choice than we think we have. You can also say, ready for this? No now, I know it's difficult. You're a junior partner. And I do appreciate there are people in higher places in employment who are earning well and they're well thought of and they're Christians and they had to do certain things to get their junior doctors to be doctors. And listen, I understand all of that. I think I understand all of that. I'm just saying sometimes we as Christians need to be prophetic where we work, not just in our churches. And sometimes we may say, no, I'm not prepared to do that. Or no, I won't do that. Um, I'm in a situation where I'm just a lecturer, ordinary lecturer at 53 years of age. Most people my age are two or three grades above. I have no intentions of going any higher. I don't know if I could. And so I work away with these guys. 
And there's a blessed release in that where I'm not trying to impress anybody or be promoted. And the guys in work always turn to me and say, people don't want to do this. Would you stand up for us? Um, depending on what the issue is. And very often I have to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And it's a, you know, in my case, it's a great thing to realize they have no power over me. Because, okay, Pete, you just teach away there. All I'm saying is, in the life balance, the life-work balance, I think the next verse comes up. Last slide. Um, here it comes. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Hmm, there's a good verse. How do you show restraint? I don't know. I don't know what that means for you. You might have to sit down with your wife, husband, if that's applicable, or whoever it is, and maybe say, here's where we will go. But beyond that, we won't do that. Talking to somebody from this congregation, they're not here today, so I'm talking about it. He said to me, as a teacher, he decided he was not going to work at night. I couldn't have done that. I had to work at night to get caught up. He says, I decided I'll stay late and to work, but whenever I come home, I'm not taking my work home with me. Fine, it works for him. He's put a restraint. I don't know what that means for you. I'll get so much money. I climb so high, or I'll do this. Sometimes, because we don't put restraints, we end up tying ourselves out. And it's not wrong to have money. Of course not. And Richie would have said that, or Sam would have said that last week. But I'm just suggesting, maybe controversially, you can say no, you can't grab control of it, and maybe we can put restraints on where we are. Now, as Richie would say, that's it. I'm done. We're going to pray now for us. And this is a complex, and I really encourage you to talk about this in your discipleship groups. As a fuller group or a smaller bunch of people, pray with people, Christians in your workplace, if that's possible, and let us try to bring the kingdom of God into this front line of work, where it is complex and difficult, and where we will not always get it right. I could tell you many stories where I didn't get it right. And that was embarrassment, and I had to apologize many times. Let's pray.